So what do you make of it when you stand up and people start bailing? You probably noticed from the bulletin insert or the e-bulletin, if you get it and open it, that this morning's sermon title is not from Matthew's Gospel. In fact, we are going to be taking a detour from Matthew's Gospel at this point. And the reason that we're taking that detour is because... The next section in Matthew's Gospel has to do with the topic of divorce. And as I was preparing this week to preach through that that section of Matthew 5, I was thinking and praying a lot about it and how to approach it, and came to realize in consultation with some of the elders that the topic itself is, is very large and very painful. And that it touches really all of us, either personally or through someone that we know or care about in a very big way. And so to to handle just two verses in the Sermon on the Mount would not be to do justice to the topic. I'm afraid that it would leave a lot of unanswered questions in people's minds and even potentially be hurtful. And so what we're going to do is we're going to to take a detour. Easter is soon upon us. So we will prepare our hearts for Easter over these next few weeks. And we'll preach on the resurrection before Easter morning. Following that, we will come back. And we're going to do a series. And I've asked Pastor Vince to, uh, to help me in this. We're going to do a series probably four, maybe five weeks on the topic of divorce and remarriage. We have never specifically preached a series on this topic before. In the 10 years that I've been the teaching pastor here, we've never done that. And I think it's time we did. I want to bring the, we want to bring the, the message in a way that is helpful to people. It's not our desire to, to just condemn. It's easy. We all feel the guilt and weight of sin. So to condemn people is an easy thing to do. But what we want to do is we want to bring the truth of the Word of God to bear so that we might understand what the Bible really does say about this difficult topic. And then we want to transition from that and begin to talk about how do we go forward from here. If we've been touched by divorce, what do we do? Where do we go? Are we somehow cut off like a leper from the people of God? How are we to respond? Pastor Vince has been teaching in Sunday school on 1 Corinthians. In the providence of God, he has arrived at chapter 7. Chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians, as you know, is the definitive section in Paul's treatment of this topic. And so that's the reason I asked him to join me in this joint series. I thought it would not make a lot of sense for him to do all that hard work and to share it in Sunday school with only a, a, a smaller segment of the body. 
So as we divide it up, the basic idea I have in mind is this, is that we will, I will present a, an introductory sermon and deal with the topic of divorce in the Old Testament. I'll follow that up with a discussion of Jesus and his statements in the New Testament with regard to divorce. And they are primarily found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5 and chapter 19. I've asked Pastor Vince to come up then and to share a, series, or a sermon with us out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and what the Apostle Paul has to say. These three sermons will be different than a typical sermon around here. They will be more didactic, more just teaching what the Bible has to say. We want to follow that with one or two sermons about how do we apply now what the Bible has to say. We want your questions. We solicit your input. Along the way, if you have things either that have been always there rolling around in the back of your mind or something that we cover that that creates a question in your mind, we'd we'd like to know that. And And we would seek to try to answer those questions as part of that process. So as, as we begin this, you can be thinking. I know it's going to be painful. I know it's going to hurt. But we don't, we don't do anyone any good by just pretending it doesn't happen. By being vague upon what the Bible has to say. Let us see what the Word of God brings to bear on this issue Let us repent if we need to repent and let us flee to the cross of Jesus Christ and find the healing and forgiveness that is available to us all there no matter what our offense. And let us seek to sort out some of the fog upon this topic, okay? So that's kind of the plan. I I can't encourage you enough to be there for this series. Don't miss. It will be really important. It will build on itself, okay? God bless you. The title of the, uh, this morning's message, actually it's a message I preached in this pulpit a couple of years ago, called How to Listen to a Sermon. How to Listen to a Sermon. If I were to ask you a question, how many sermons do you suppose you have heard in your lifetime How would you answer? How many sermons have you heard? I've preached about 600 sermons here in the last 10 years. If you are the average sort of typical church goer, you will hear in your lifetime about 6,000 sermons. 6,000 sermons. Beloved, someday you and I will stand before Jesus Christ and give an account for every single one of them. Every sermon you have ever heard, God will call you to account for. God is exceedingly serious about how his people listen to his word very serious. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and in verse 4, we find what's called the Shema. This is the the great confession 
of God's people, Israel. And it begins with the word hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, use the expression, hear the word of the Lord 28 times. Hear the word of the Lord. Six times they use the expression, listen to the word of the Lord. The psalmist in Psalm 95, verses 7 and 8, writes the following. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep of his hand. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as at Meribah, as in the day of Massa in the wilderness. Today, if you would hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The book of Proverbs begins in chapter 1 and verse 8. Hear, my son. Hear, my son. Listen. Proverbs 1 and verse 33, the personification of wisdom herself as she speaks. He who listens to me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. Jesus says repeatedly in the Gospels, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Luke chapter 8, verse 18, Jesus says, Take care how you listen. Chapter 8 and verse 21, My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. Concerning him, that is Melchizedek, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, Like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Finally, Paul says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, Faith comes by what? Hearing. Faith comes by hearing. God is very, very, very concerned about the way we listen to his word. The way we listen to his word. Preaching, the word means to to proclaim as a herald. Preaching the scriptures is the Holy Spirit's primary means of changing people. The Spirit of God uses the Word of God to accomplish His purposes in the people of God. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 
All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Foolishness to the unbelieving world, but to us it is the power of God. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 13, Paul writes to his protege Timothy. And he says, Timothy, until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scriptures, to exhortation, and to teaching, to reading, exhorting, and teaching the Word of God. What should be our proper response to preaching? What should be our proper response to preaching? I think we could do no better than emulate the Jews at Pentecost. There on that great day, in response to the amazing work of the Spirit, speaking in unknown languages, Peter stands up and begins to preach a sermon, doesn't he? It's a very, very powerful sermon by which he, he brings the nation under conviction for their cosmic crime of rejecting and crucifying their own, their own Messiah. And at the end of that sermon, listen to how they respond. They say, brethren, what shall we do? Acts chapter 2, verse 37. That's the right idea when we hear a sermon. When we hear a sermon, it's to, to respond and say, what shall we do with what we've heard? What shall we do? This morning I want to speak to you about three essential activities that we must engage in so that we can fully benefit from Sunday's preaching. This is going to be a very practical sermon. Very practical. Three essential activities that we must engage in so that we can fully benefit from a Sunday preaching. The man by the name of Lance Quinn, pastor, former pastor of a church out in Arkansas, he writes the following, and I quote, Listening to a sermon, really listening, as in thinking, praying, following the argument, concentrating on the meaning and its application to your life, now that's hard work. That's hard work. But see, I don't want to work hard, right? It's Sunday. 
It's my day off. Preacher, you only work on Sunday. I don't want to work. But Lance says, to really listen is hard work. We all know that's true. We all know that's true. Really, if you want to boil this thing down, what it, what it comes down to is, do we really believe it and are we willing to act on what we believe? Are we willing to do the hard work to listen to a sermon? Well, I said there are three essential activities, so let me, let me spill them out for you. Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. The first essential activity is that we must hear with our hearts. We must hear with our hearts. Mark chapter 4. Beginning in verse 1. He, that is Jesus, began to teach again by the sea. And such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down. And the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. After the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop, produced thirty Sixty and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you it has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God. But those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing they may see and not perceive, And while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word, 
and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. I want to lift from this parable just a kind of an application point. An application point. Beloved, listening to the Word of God plunges you into the heart of spiritual warfare. Plunges you right into the very middle of it. The application here is that Satan seeks to snatch the Word of God away. To snatch it away. Before it has time to to sink in. The difficulties and pleasures of life conspire together to snuff it out. Satan seeks to snatch it. The pleasures and difficulties of life conspire together to snuff it out. It's a war. It's a war. The only hope lies in the soil. It lies in the soil. Now, the parable is about those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I understand that. I'm making an application from this. And that is, the soil has to be good for the seed to begin to grow. The soil is our heart. The soil is our heart. Our hearts need to be ready to hear the Word of God. And if we are not ready to hear the Word of God, it will be snatched away. Or it will be snuffed out. We have to be ready to receive the implanted Word. James chapter 1, verse 21. James says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. James says there's things that need to be put away so that we are ready to receive the word. The heart has to be ready. The soil of the heart has to be prepared. So let's get practical. How do... You go about preparing your heart to hear a sermon. How do you go about preparing your heart in order to hear a sermon? Well, let me suggest some ways. Number one, develop a daily habit of reading and meditating upon the Scriptures. Develop a a daily habit in the Word of God. As we develop a daily habit in the Word of God, it it will cause our appetite to grow. We'll become familiar with biblical terminology, concepts. They'll be the raw materials for the Spirit of God to, to take on Sunday morning and to mold and shape and put them together in the way He wants to in order to impress upon you a truth that you need to hear and respond to. But if our only, our only input of the Word of God is, is what we hear on a Sunday, then we're not giving the Spirit of God a whole lot to work with. So we need to be taking it in ourselves. 
John Piper says, and I quote, daily reading is like a spiritual appetizer. You can always count on Piper for a pithy quote, huh? Daily reading is like a spiritual appetizer, right? You know, you go to the restaurant and they offer you appetizers. They're supposed to to get the juices flowing. My problem is I eat too many of them and can't eat the meal, but it's not true of the Word of God. You can't eat too much of it to be full. So develop the daily habit. Daily habit of reading and meditating on the Scriptures. Secondly, read ahead in preparation for the Sunday sermon. It's kind of a novel idea. Now, with the exception of, of this morning, I am so predictable. If you've been here any length of time, you know what I'm talking about. When I finish on Sunday, you can know where I'm going to be the next week. I do not sit in my office on Monday morning and start flipping the coin, now what, now what? I am not that creative. Okay? I am definitely not that creative. Wherever I finished, I'm going on from there. Okay? Sometimes I recognize that I'm probably a little bit culturally, you know, oblique. I don't get it. So you don't hear a lot of um, messages. Like There's no St. Patrick's Day message today. You know what I'm saying? Although I did have corned beef yesterday and it was fantastic. But I, you know, other than the biggies, the Christian holidays, for the most part, I am deaf, dumb, and blind to all of that stuff. So you know where I'm going to be. So read ahead. Think through the passage before you get here on Sunday morning. Formulate in your mind questions that you would like answered during the sermon. Jot them down. Say, I've read, you know, I've read this passage, I'm thinking about it, and boy, I sure hope he answers this question or that question. Think ahead. Third, pray during the week for yourself and for the sermon. So pray during the week and anticipation. Pray for yourself and pray for the sermon and pray that it would strike a receptive heart. So pray that God would make your heart ready to hear the Word of God and pray that God would make your brothers' and sisters' hearts ready to hear the Word of God. Pray that God would work in me that I would correctly handle the Word of God and that I would preach it with power that it might accomplish its purposes. Undergird the whole process of preaching with prayer because it is a spiritual endeavor. It's a spiritual endeavor. Four, confess your sin to God before you get in here. Confess your sin to God before you come. Come as a clean vessel. Come as a clean vessel ready to hear the word of God. Go to the cross Confess your sin, rejoice in the forgiveness that is yours in Christ Jesus, and then come ready to hear. Ready to hear. In fine restaurants, between courses, they serve sorbet. It is served in order to cleanse the palate. Cleanse the palate. There's a certain flavor that is in your mouth based on the course you have just eaten. 
And you're about to have another course, and you need to cleanse that flavor out of your mouth so you'll be ready to receive the next flavor. Remember the first time that I ever experienced that in a fine restaurant was many years ago working in the banking industry. Someone else was paying the tab. And I went to this restaurant, and they served the first course, and then they came and they put the survey down, and I said to the guy next to me, what is that? It's kind of early for ice cream, right? <laughs> and the, the uh, waiter overheard me, leaned over and whispered in my ear, he said, it's to cleanse your palate, sir. I didn't tell him I didn't know what a palate was, okay? <laughs> I just nodded, right? Later I learned. Hey, I grew up in a small town, you know? Going out to dinner was pizza, so anyway. Listen, during the week, we digest all kinds of crud. And it leaves a a taste in our mouth. We We need to cleanse the palate to be ready to hear the Word of God. We need to confess our sin be ready to hear the Word. Number five, reduce your media intake. Reduce your media intake because it reduces your ability to concentrate. We live in a world of sound bites. Let's reduce everything to 30 seconds or less. What that means is is that we're incapable, not incapable, but it's hard for us to follow a lengthy argument. We zone out. The Puritans preached for hours at a time. They also had guys who walked around, by the way, during the service with long poles that had a little wooden knocker on one end and a feather on the other. And if you fell asleep, if you were a lady or an older person, they tickled your nose. If you were a man or a young person, you got a rap on the top of the head. So I've ordered a few. They'll be in next week. (laughs) Everybody will be wearing baseball helmets to church. But we we live in a world that does not encourage serious thinking. We find it hard to follow an argument for any length of time. And large quantities of of the intake of media doesn't help us. So if you find that it's hard to follow along, then you you need to think about what can I do to train myself to be able to follow along. A lot of churches capitulate on this, and so they shorten the sermons and they spice it up with video clips and and all kinds of things in order to try to keep people's attention. But in the process, they lose the ability to communicate anything of any serious nature. So we're not going to capitulate to such things. We're going to train ourselves to listen and to follow along. Six, plan for Sunday. I'll let you in on an insight. Sunday comes every week. Comes every week. So plan for it. Plan for it. Get ready for it. How? Well, how about this? Get enough rest Saturday night. My children will tell you there was an expression in our family they can repeat it from heart. Sunday morning begins, children... 
Thank you. Saturday night. Sunday morning begins Saturday night. What you do with your Saturday night affects your Sunday morning. If you stay out late on Saturday night, you will be in no mental, physical, spiritual condition for Sunday morning. So get a good night's rest. Get a good night's rest. Furthermore, on Saturday night, if you have trouble concentrating on Sunday morning, be careful of what kind of visual and mental stimulation you take in on Saturday night. What do I mean by that? Well, if you, if you use your Saturday night to, to watch some kind of a movie or something that is, that is just really powerful, it well may linger in your mind into Sunday morning, and you will find Sunday morning that you were in a battle between what you saw Saturday night and the images you saw and Sunday morning and what you're here to do. So just think about that. If you find yourself, it's not everybody, but if you find yourself on a somewhat regular basis on Sunday morning struggling to pay attention and all the things of the week keep flooding in, then Take a look at what you're loading your mind up with on Saturday night. Hey, if you have young families, here's some tips for you. Lay out the kids' clothes Saturday night so that Sunday morning you don't have to deal with those decisions. Write out your offering check Saturday night. Fill up the diaper bag Saturday night. It will reinforce that Sunday morning begins when... Saturday night. Saturday night. Here's another one for you. On Sunday morning, eat breakfast, and in particular, eat a protein-based breakfast. I have what's called a preaching breakfast. My good wife makes me the same breakfast every single Sunday morning. It is bacon and eggs, and it's the way to go. All right? You need protein on Sunday morning. Caffeine and sugar may give you a fast lunch, but it will drop you like a cheap date. Okay? Yeah. Just about the time I stand up to preach. Bang, right? Crash. That's one of the reasons that we got rid of the donuts. On Sunday morning. <laughs> well, yeah, we're going to do eggs and bacon instead. That's right. So eat something that will sustain you until noontime. Here's another one for you on, on planning for Sunday. This is number six, planning for Sunday. Listen to worship music in your home Sunday morning as you're getting ready. Play some hymns, something that will help you begin to get ready to prepare your heart for what you're coming to do. Put the Word of God in you. And here's the last one under this. That's arrive early in order to avoid the rush of running in at the last second. Now, I sent my pastoral letter out here, I don't know what it was, a month ago or so, Seem to have dramatic results, so thank you for that. 
But get ready. Get here on time. And on time means early. Right? To be early is to be on time. To be on time is to be late. To be late is unacceptable. That's another Forsyth family thing. So just get here early enough to get in here and get ready. So you're not running in the door at the last second. All about getting the heart ready, okay? So we hear with our hearts. Second, we must hear with our heads. We must hear with our hearts. We must hear with our heads. Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17 and verse 10. Paul has just been run out of Thessalonica. Verse 10 says, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. A little phrase, a little expression we want to lift out of there is examining the Scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. That is, that they they themselves were involved in the process of studying the Scriptures and listening actively, using their heads to process what they were hearing. Their hearts are ready. Now they're using their heads. I spend somewhere between 15 to 20 hours every single week, almost without exception, in a very rigorous spiritual slash intellectual preparation to preach. It is the single largest component of my week is to get ready to come and to preach. I don't slap it together at the last second. I work hard at it. And so I bring it to you into the pulpit. Now, just because I work hard at it does not mean I'm immune to mistakes. I do make mistakes. And when I do, I would like to know about it. So I welcome your input. I welcome your questions. I welcome your comments, your insights, and even your criticisms. And if you will bring them to me, and I can just ask you this, if you would at least allow me to catch my breath at the end before you completely cut my legs out from under me. So just be a little bit sensitive to that. But other than that, if you will come to me, I think that generally speaking, you will find me receptive to these things. I want to go back and forth with you in the Scriptures. And if I really blow it, then I will either publicly or I will do whatever I need to do to correct it. Okay? So I'm not immune in all of this, but I do work hard at it. So, how do we prepare our heads to hear a sermon, practically speaking? How do we go about it? Number one, 
Be consistent in your church attendance. That's the first thing. Be consistent in your church attendance. We don't preach generally topical sermons. We preach expositorily through the Scriptures. What that means is is that one week builds upon another. And there's not enough time to go back and to reset context every single time and to try to catch everybody up to speed. So I am relying on the the fact that, that you remember what happened last week. And all you need is a, is a quick flashback, and then we're off and rolling. Listen, if you're not consistent in your church attendance and you come in, it's, it's kind of like coming in halfway through a television show and sitting down, and, and you don't know what's going on, right? You don't know who the characters are. You don't, know, you don't know the plot. Who's the good guy? Who's the bad guy? Why did they say that? Why did they do that? You get no enjoyment out of it. And the people that are already been sitting there watching the whole show, all they want to say to you is, shh, right? Be quiet. Ruin it for me. So be consistent in your attendance so that you can follow along. If something comes up so that you cannot be here, it is available to you in multiple formats. You can go to our website. And you can watch it on video or listen to it on audio on the website. You can request a CD. You can even request a DVD. We've made it available in virtually every format we can. So if you're not going to be here, plan to get it. Now this is going to be very, very important with that series that I talked about earlier after Easter. Very important. We need to... We need to say all that the Bible has to say before we begin to try to apply it. We're not going to apply it each week. We're going to apply it at the end. Because the application will presuppose an understanding of all of the relevant teaching. So it's critical that you be here. And if you cannot be here, it's critical that you get it and listen. Okay? Here's another way, number three, to hear with your head. You can request to be put on the sermon notes distribution list. This is one of those open secrets here at Foothill Bible Church. I produce a pretty thorough manuscript every single week. If you would like the very same notes that I take into the pulpit each and every week, if you will contact the church office, give them your email address, they will put you on the distribution list and you will receive them by Friday. I don't know the size of the distribution list. I don't keep track of it, but I believe it's approaching 200 names. So I say it's sort of an open secret. So you can have the exact same notes that I take into the pulpit every week. And it's a pretty thorough manuscript. So get on the distribution list. Four. Come to church expectantly. Come to church expectantly. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Come expecting to learn something. Five, enter into worship when you get here. Sing with the congregation. 
As you sing, the Spirit of God will use the truth in those songs to allow you to worship and to prepare you to hear from Him the preaching of His Word. Follow along in your Bible. Bring your Bible, follow along. If necessary, memorize the order of the books of the Bible or buy some Bible tabs and put them into your Bible so that you can find your way around. Turn to the cross-references when I mention them. Follow along. Listen attentively when people are praying. Take notes if it's helpful to you. These are all ways to, to enter into the process. That was five. Six, fight off distractions. Fight off the distractions. The scientists tell us that the average person can listen two times faster than someone can speak. I've had people tell me through the years, you speak too fast. No, I don't. The average person can listen at twice the speed that I speak. Actually, therein lies the problem. All of that dead time is available to you for your mind to wander. And a mind is a little thing to be let out on its own. Right? So keep track of it. I just have to say this. You know how a Scotsman takes a vacation, don't you? Stays at home and lets his mind wander. Yeah. So fight off the distractions. Fight off the daydreaming. All right, turn off your cell phone when you come into a service. Turn it off. A lot more and more people are using electronic Bibles. I think that's wonderful for you. Okay. <laughs> when they make one calfskin bound with pages, I still won't buy it. But anyway... You know, if you use an electronic device, that's fine, but it also carries a temptation with it that you may or may not be aware of yet. And that is sort of your whole life is now at your fingertips. You may be, your email may be pouring in while you're listening to the sermon. A text message arrives. An opportunity to check something on the internet. Hey, let's check out that word that he just said. And that leads you to another link that leads you to another link. And pretty soon you have checked out. Be careful. You've got to fight the distractions. Here's a simple one. Go to the bathroom before you come in for the service. It's an hour and a half. Go to the bathroom first, then stay. If you have crying children, please take them out. Be considerate of those around you. There is a room back here for crying children. It gets a video feed. Please, for the sake of everybody else, if your child is, is making a ruckus, take the baby out. Here's one. Maintain eye contact with the preacher. Maintain eye contact with the preacher. It encourages him. It also helps you pay attention. Give him verbal and nonverbal feedback as you go. There we go. We like it. Nod. Smile. Occasional amen. Right? Stay engaged. 
This is a rhetorical question. Don't say it out loud, but, you know, mouth the answer. Some of you do that, by the way. It's good. It tells me that you're engaged, you're following. You're all the way in. So we have to, we have to listen with our heads. We have to listen with our hearts. Finally, we have, to, we have to hear with our hands. This is the last one. We have to hear with our hands. James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 19. Middle of the verse. Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was." But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. James' big point is, to listen alone is not sufficient. We must listen and do. This is the third part of how we must listen to a sermon. We need to do something with it. What we don't want to do is act like we're going through Costco and nibbling all the things that are set out to eat. All right, if you go on the right day, there's some tremendous food set out there. And I guess if you make the circuit properly, you can get a three-course meal out of it. (laughs) But that's not how we want to approach the Word of God. We don't want to nibble on it. We don't want to just taste on it. We want to consume it, and then we, we want it to work itself out. Listen, when the Word of God is preached, we have an obligation to do something with it. Do you know that? To come under the hearing of the Word of God creates an obligation on our part to do something with it. And the one thing that God does not accept is that we forget it. That's what we're going to do with it. I'm going to forget this one. God expects us to do something. So here's some practical suggestions to prepare your hands to hear the Word of God. Now, an understanding first, I guess, goes underneath this, and, and that is that the goal of preaching is to move the will. It is to move the will. That is not the end in of itself. It is the means to the end, which is ultimately life transformation. 
So the Word of God, the Spirit uses the Word in preaching to move our will, and the moving of our will affects how we live our lives. That's why in preaching you will, you will see that we spend time creating what's called a proposition. It's the, it's the sermon in a sentence, and it, it inevitably includes a little so that statement. Anybody that we spend any time teaching how to preach, we insist that they include a, a spoken so that statement. Such and such and such and such is the front part of the proposition, so that we might, whatever it is, abandon sin, live for holiness, share our faith, be encouraged in our faith, whatever it is. There's always a so that. Because the sermon is supposed to do something. It's supposed to take us somewhere. What that means is, you have a right to expect me to work hard in preparation of a sermon and to live in, in conformity to the things I preach. But I also have a rightful expectation that you will do something with what I preach to you. It's a, it's a relationship. It's a two-way relationship. Your expectation is when you come here that I have worked hard during the week, right? And that's a fair expectation. You also have a legitimate expectation that I will live in conformity to the things that I preach, that I will not be a hypocrite. I have a legitimate expectation that you will listen attentively to what is preached and you will do something with it. It's the two-way street. The difference, my friends, is like going to the theater. When you go to the theater, you buy a ticket. You buy the ticket, and they are obligated to put on the show. You have no obligation beyond the ticket. You can take it, or you can leave it. You can criticize it. You can get up and walk out. You can do whatever you want. But the preaching of the Word of God is not a show, and you do not buy tickets. It is an encounter with the living God through His Word. So let's talk practically How do we hear with our hands? Number one, think through specific applications of the Scripture even as you are hearing it. Think about it. Specifically, what am I going to do with this that I'm hearing today? You are hearing a sermon about how to listen to a sermon. By the time you walk out of here, there should be at least one thing, one action that you have set your mind that you're going to take. Something you're doing that you're going to stop doing. Something that you're not doing that you're going to start doing. In order to take this sermon and do something with it. If you walk out of here unmoved, you've not only wasted your time, but you will be accountable to Christ. So think it through. What does God want me to do in response to what I'm hearing? Luke chapter 11 and verse 28, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. Not blessed are those who just hear it, blessed are those who hear it and observe it, or as the old King James says, and do it. Number two, as soon as possible, discuss, this, you know, discuss what the sermon was about with other people who also heard it. Lunchtime is a great opportunity for that. Make a portion of your lunchtime conversation on a Sunday about the sermon that you just heard. 
There's plenty of time to talk about the Lakers later. They're not that good anyway. <laughs> Just reporting facts, Robert. <laughs> talk about the sermon. Talk about the sermon. Focus on specific application that occurred to you as you heard the sermon. You know, when, when he was preaching, this is what I was thinking about. What were you thinking about? Lunch. <laughs> Number three, resolve to make specific changes as a result of the sermon. Resolve to make specific changes as a result of the sermon. Not just, boy, I, I felt really convicted today, but a good night's sleep and it'll all be over. Right? Specifically, what will you do with the conviction? Four, pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you to begin to take a specific step to change. Before you walk out this morning, pray and ask the Spirit of God to help you to take a specific step to apply this sermon. For example, if you are fighting laziness and the ability to get out of bed in the morning, then pray and ask the Spirit of God to help you to get up tomorrow morning. Then set your alarm and get up. Roll out. Do not roll over. Okay? Worst invention is the snooze button. Put a piece of tape over it. It was invented by Satan himself. <laughs> yeah. Number five. See if I can rescue this. <laughs> Review the sermon notes and reread the passage during the week. So, sometime during the week before the next Sunday, review what you heard. Reread the passage again. Look over your notes. Six, join a home study group. There are a number of home study groups. Not all of them are doing this, but there are some of them that their, their study each week is a review of the sermon. So if this is an area where you, you, you need some help, you want to grow in your ability to digest and, and process sermons, then you might think about that if you're not already involved in a group. That's one way to do it. Finally, this is number seven and the final one this morning. Share the content of the sermon with someone else who did not hear it. That's different than than speaking to someone right afterwards who did hear it. That's one thing. This is just taking it another step. This is talking about the sermon to somebody who didn't hear the sermon. That could be a classmate at school. That could be somebody at work. That could be a family member. That could be whoever. Say to them, you know, this past week, I heard this really cool sermon in church, and it was talking about murder and and how anger lies at the heart of murder. Have you ever thought about that? That's the way you get a gospel conversation going, by the way. That's the way you get a gospel conversation going. It also helps cement it deep into your own heart. 
If you have to repeat it to somebody else, then that means you have to do what? You have to have it, at least in some form. Okay, these are simple, simple things. May the Spirit of God help you this morning to, to latch on to at least one of them or maybe something completely that hasn't been brought up. May He grant us all to be good listeners to the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank You. Thank You for our time together this morning. Thank You for the Word of God. Thank You that You don't leave us floundering around the sea of subjectivity. Thank you, our Father, that we know that we can come here on Sundays and we will hear the Word of God taught faithfully. All the many, the many different venues. Our Father, we, we love you and we desire to grow as followers of Christ. And we know that, that somehow your Spirit uses your Word to, to do that in us. We know that the teaching and preaching of the Word is one of the key ways that you do it. And so, Father, we want to be good listeners. I ask you to forgive us for, for laziness in this matter. If we've had a cavalier attitude, O oh Lord, please enable us to repent and to come with a greater sense of expectation and, and excitement, willingness to work hard. Father, may you profit us Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Father, we want to grow in that faith. We ask you to do something really powerful in Jesus' name. Amen.